The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon, period. Remember this declaration by Jesus himself. Whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. And in the last days, neither your heart nor your faith will fail you. Hola, bienvenidos a podcast del libro de Mormon. <laughs> y... I'm just kidding. We, we won't do it in Spanish today. Not yet. <laughs> we are learning Spanish, though. We are. So, anyway, but what I said was, welcome to the Book of Mormon podcast. This is Shelby and... Kevin. As always, we're here with you to go chapter by chapter through the Book of Mormon. And this week, we're in 3 Nephi chapter 25. It's only five verses. And yes, we're only doing one episode. I'm sorry, six verses. And yes, only one episode on six verses. So that will be fun. And it's comparable to Malachi chapter four in the Old Testament. So we're just going to dive into the chapter. How does that sound? Sounds great. Any any initial takeaways you want to share? Or should we dive into the first verse? Well, just to follow up for something that we talked about last weekend is... Shelby, you asked, was this the expounded version of Malachi's teachings? And short answer is no, but there is going to be some expounding taking place in chapter 26. And so I just kind of wanted to get that out there a little early because it was a great question and I was not prepared for that question. And so I, I had to do a little studying to figure out wait a second, where's the expoundation at? So I just wanted to, to throw that out there at the beginning of this episode. Perfect. So let's dive in to the chapter summary heading so we can just get a little summary of what's going on. It says, at the second coming, the proud and wicked will be burned as stubble. Elijah will return before the great and dreadful day. And then compare Malachi 4 AD 34. So Let's dive into it. I have lots of resources, so I'm going to be going back and forth through this, but just bear with me. Let's just start with verse one. For behold, the day cometh that that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Now, when I studied this, I underlined root or branch, and I thought, what in the world does that mean? And I'm sure, Kevin, you probably looked this up too as you were studying. But this, this whole chapter has an underlying theme of connecting to our ancestors and why that's important. And so when we think about root nor branch, it says the wicked will not have these. Well, our roots, if you think of our roots, they're our parents or our ancestors, right? Like the roots of our family tree. And when you think of the branches of the tree, that's the posterity that comes from obviously a strong foundation of roots. And so when it says here that the wicked will burn and be stubble, that is that they will have no families left. Their family will not be tied together. 
Because we, we see at the end of this verse that it talks about sealing and binding up and turning the hearts of the children to their family, or sorry, to the fathers and the fathers to their children. So those that are left without root and branch are those who were not following the the word of God, right? Not following his commandments. And so I wanted to also hit on the, the phrase proud and what that means. And also like those who will quote unquote burn as stubble. It's kind of a little bit, um, I don't know. It's a funny way to say. It just sounds funny to me. They'll burn a stubble. But the reason they will burn a stubble is for one of two reasons. Either one, they rejected Christ out of pride. Or two, they accepted Christ, but they were not valiant in keeping the commandments. And so this applies to people who, quote unquote, accepted Christ, right? And also those who did rejected him flat out. So it, it does encompass pretty much everybody. <laughs> and so that's important to note here in this first verse of the the root and the branch and the burning of stubble that it will all come to pass. Yeah. And with verse two, it's very clear because then the prophecy turns to, but unto you that fear my name, Shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves in the stall. And we'll get into all of that, but I like that distinction. And we we really just brushed over it last week because we were going a little bit long. And I think we were we were kind of rushing there at the end. But last week we talked about the fear of God or godly fear. And for those of you who have listened to us for a long time, we've brought it up in multiple episodes in the past, but there's two types of fear, right? There's one, which is, you know, fear. Which is like a fear of men, you know, fear of the world, anxiety and trepidation, and so on. And then there's godly fear. And it's really a reverence and a respect for God. And when you have this godly fear, and it's in the scriptures, it's the fear of God, it means that you respect him, and you are you are quick to observe, you're um, quick to listen to his servants, and follow in the judgments and the statues that he puts forth in his gospel um, that he he institutes through his son Jesus Christ. So I just really again I I'm being repetitive but I love this distinction between the wicked and then those who fear God and we have to be a more God-fearing people in order to be prepared for the great and terrible day. Ironically, those who fear God will be less afraid when he comes. Thank you for pointing that out. Let's dive into this verse a little bit more. I underlined calves in the stall. <laughs> and I thought, what the heck does that even mean? Kind of weird. Yeah, like they're going to grow up as calves in the stall. So anyway, I looked more into this. And a stall that 
houses a calf, right? It protects it. It has shelter, right? It keeps it in a safe environment. And a range, when you think of a range and a calf being in a range, they're out in the open. They are exposed to all the elements. So the the calf being in a range is exposed to all the elements. That is us right now. We are exposed to everything, right? We have, we are not us. Well, I take that back just a little bit. And that's because we do have our covenants that protect us, which can be like being a calf in a stall amongst those who may be wandering out in the range, right? However, we still are not like completely 100% protected from that. So there's like a little caveat there. So this scripture here is saying that they will grow up as calves in the stall. Now, uh, I, I can't remember who said it. I should have wrote it down. But they were discussing this phrase in terms of the millennium of, of Christ. And they said, children in the millennium shall grow up as calves of the stall. Well, we know that in the millennium, Satan will be bound for a thousand years because no one will want to do wickedness. Everyone will want to be righteous. And so because of that, there will be an opportunity to raise, raise children as calves in the stall, a.k.a. fully protected from any wickedness or temptation or anything like that, right? And so I thought that was really cool to know that those who fear his name, they are going to go forth and grow up as these calves in the stall, right? And that has reference to the millennium, but it also has reference to our temple covenants, which we know are outlined in this chapter quite frequently, right? So I just loved digging into that phrase and exactly what it means. Yeah, I love that. And I appreciate, I appreciate those insights that you've provided. I would like to add that the only reason that that's possible, that we and our children, who we will raise, all children who will be raised in the millennium, will grow up as calves in the stall, is because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. This is referenced in the healing in his wings, right? Wings are a symbol of mobility and freedom and not being bound, right? Not being bound by gravity or temporal temporal concerns, okay? The world, in other terms. And I love in the following chapter, chapter 26, verse 5, it talks about not to jump too far ahead, but it talks about the resurrection. And so if they be good, it says, if they fear God, if they are righteous, they follow after righteousness and seek after righteousness, they are to the resurrection of everlasting life. And if they be evil, to the resurrection of damnation, being on a parallel. And it says, according to the mercy and the justice and the holiness, which is in Christ. And so we have to remember that this is only possible because of Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not by merit of the people who will dwell in the millennium. It's because of his, because of the, the mercy and also the judgment. And I know Shelby has a lot 
of thoughts about that judgment and that mercy. We'll get into it next week, but I, I think it's important to, to iterate there as well. So moving on to verse three. It says, and you shall tread down the wicked for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. This one was pretty straightforward. There actually was not a lot of, I don't know what the word is, but a lot of uh, references or insight into the scripture, which made me think that this was pretty dang straightforward. That when that day comes, and I believe he's talking about the I believe this whole thing is like very twofold, like millennium, but also the coming of Elijah, right? Um, as we read in verses five and six, but that we will be able to tread down the wicked, right? And that they will not have power over us, which is why they're under our feet, right? One thing that I thought of as you said that was as the the world is getting more temples. It's literally becoming more bright. Hmm. There's more light, not only on the surface of the world, because those temples are lit up 24-7, right? But also, there's more light of of Jesus Christ in the world, preparing hmm. people for his second coming. And so, the wicked will be weakened in the light. Which it may not appear that way to the natural eye. Sure. However, we know where the true power comes from. Well, think about it in, in this way. With less darkness, there's fewer opportunity for wicked acts. Or rather, the wicked acts will be easier to distinguish in the light. So... As we work to discern between truth and and error and light and darkness, and this is something that we all do individually, and we have to teach our children to do that as well. Like, why would they live or why would they grow up as calves in the stall, right? It's not just by merit, like I said before, it's because they have the truth of the gospel, like, and not just, they don't just believe. But they know the Lord Jesus Christ is reigning. You're talking about the millennium, yeah? Well, yes. Okay. Uh, when you say that. Specifically that, yes, in the millennium. But in this day and age, before the second coming, before his literal reign on the earth, you know, as the kingdom is being built up, it's interesting that the killed the kingdom is built up prior to the king arriving right it's all this like it kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week about a forerunner or like a a preparer like a messenger right and so through these messengers through these servants you know what happens every 6 months we have a general conference where the leaders of the church are denouncing wickedness and by by so they're teaching truth and light. Of course, they don't. I mean, some some of them do. Some of the brethren like openly denounce wickedness, right? But in many of the talks, them teaching the light and teaching truth 
is furthermore making it clearer to discern between that good and evil. Yes, I agree. I just uh, thought Christ ain't raining yet. That's why I said that. <laughs> well, and I don't want to go off on like a big tangent, but you know, is is he reigning literally on the earth as the, you know, as the political entity? No, but he he is reigning over his church and his chosen people. And then the question that we have to ask ourselves is he reigning over our lives? Mm-hmm. Are we following his commandments as if they are the law, the law of the land? Or do we take advantage of the fact that well, he's not, it's not in effect yet, right? He's not here yet. So we can kind of slip, slip under, and and in a way we are also working in that darkness, right? Those are the people who are not valiant in keeping the commandments, or those who will burn a stubble. Correct. Like I've, it's pretty straightforward, right? According to the mercy and justice of God. Yeah. So moving on, it says, "Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant." which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. So he's he's saying to remember the law of Moses, or sorry, the law of Moses, my servant, signifying that Moses was a servant. And he then says what he wants him to remember, which is, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And ye shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So first I just want to talk about who Elijah is, and where better to go than to the Old Testament. (laughs) And so I'm just going to read, and not the Old Testament, sorry, the Guide to the Scriptures definition of Elijah. It says, An Old Testament prophet who returned in the latter days to confer the keys of the sealing power on Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery. In his day, Elijah ministered in the northern kingdom of Israel. He had great faith in the Lord and is noted for many miracles. One of those is that God prevented rain for three and a half years and that he raised a boy from the dead and called down fire from heaven. Um, The Jewish people still wait for Elijah to return, as Malachi promised he would. He remains an invited guest at Jewish Passover feast, where an open door and a vacant seat always await him. Now, this is what I found interesting, because while I was reading the scriptures and preparing for this, I thought, who said that Elijah was the last one with the sealing keys? Like, I was really getting into the the priesthood ordination like coming back to the earth and i want to lay that out and then i was like well then how do we know elijah was the last one at the ceiling power so just to back up so that was my question but to back up to find this answer i first was like when was the ironic restored right the ironic priesthood that was restored may 15th 1829 and they were baptized and then from then on What's crazy about this, we had the Aaronic priesthood. We actually don't have an official date on when the Melchizedek priesthood was restored. We have a range based on certain records that were kept. And that's any time between when the Aaronic priesthood was restored in May of 1829 through the summer of the next year, August of 1836, when the Melchizedek was restored. Now, 
when obviously the stealing keys came from Elijah. And I was, that's what led me to the question of, well, who said that he had the stealing keys? And it came by way of revelation from the prophet Joseph Smith, which it actually says in the guide to the scriptures that I was reading. So as the prophet Joseph Smith said that Elijah held the sealing power of the Melchizedek priesthood and was the last prophet to do so before the time of Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to, you know, say more about Elijah and his priesthood power. But I thought that was so interesting uh, that we know that because Joseph Smith, the prophet, said that through revelation given to him from Christ, right? So it was really cool for me to like see that because I was trying to lay all that out in my margins. And so that's Elijah, the last one to hold the sealing keys, her Joseph Smith, aka really from Jesus Christ. And he comes to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers which is AKA temple covenants, right? Um, having that opportunity to be baptized, to, you know, receive their endowment, initiatory, et cetera, be sealed as families together forever if they choose, right? And another thing I wanted to point out that I learned was the word turn, Joseph Smith said, should actually say bind or seal. So when we read it in that context, it says, and he shall bind or seal the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. So in direct correlation to temple ordinances and covenants, right? The sealing power, the endowment, the initiatory, the baptistry, all of it seals and binds us as one whole to our families. And if that doesn't happen, it says, I come and smite the earth with a curse, (laughs) right? This is why that book of that book that's presented the sons of Levi, I'm going a little bit deep here, but the sons of Levi will present an offering still when the Lord comes. And I believe that's the book of our, our family history. And if that is not presented to the Lord, it was a waste, right? We have to tie ourselves back to Jesus Christ and all the way back, right? And we're not going to be perfect, but the point is that we try, right? That's what we have the millennium for, to work out these kinks um, in our family history. I just find that so powerful, though, that if, if it's not done, what was the point? What was the point of being here? The earth has a destiny to fulfill as well, right? The earth is to become a celestial kingdom. So we got to uphold that. (laughs) We got to make that happen. We have work to do. I really appreciate that you said that at the very end, there's work to be done. We recently had a little message sent to us from a good friend of ours. Can we say? Yeah. Uh, Our good friend, Tammy, who has been on the podcast before Mm -hmm. as a guest, but She talked about, in a nutshell, she's talking about the second coming of the Lord, right? And then she said, you know, am I going to sit in a bunker until the coming of the Lord, right? And she said, no, we've got work to do. And that is the attitude 
that we need to have. There's an urgency to prepare for his coming. And for some of us, it's preparing ourselves. I guess not some of us, all of us. We all have to be better and do better and repent daily, right? So we're preparing ourselves. In all the various roles in the kingdom of God, there are offerings to be made. And so wherever you serve at any time, that is your offering. And you you need to work and put in that effort to make that offering the best you can, whether you're a, a nursery leader or a stake president, apostle of the Quorum of the Twelve, or lowly podcasters like us. Oh, it's so funny. I want to read something that Elder Theodore M. Burton said about this, this topic in a way. Okay? He said, This turning of hearts to family relationships means establishing and sealing patriarchal lineage within the sacred confines of the temple and carrying that family inheritance into our daily lives. That is why even if we do build temples, if we do not keep the covenants made in them, we will be rejected as a people. And that also, I think, can be said about, you know, our our roles that we have to play in the kingdom too, right? We have obligations and responsibilities because the Lord trusts you to have them. Let's just point that out, right? Like he wouldn't have sent you here if he didn't believe you were capable and we can do them. But if we're not doing them with real intent, we talked about this last week, it's the intent that matters most, I guess is where I'm going with it. The intention is so important behind everything that we do. Where is your heart? Because there will your treasure be also. I love it. <laughs> that was Malachi 4 and 3rd Nephi 25. Really good. Yeah, to say the least. Yeah, more to be said, obviously, but I think it was a great study and I enjoyed just focusing on a set of verses. Yeah, because, you know, I think it's been a while since we've had the chance to really, really go just deep into just, and, and plus, like, this is this is a small chapter in terms of sequential verses, but like you did, you you went to all these other uh, books and in the Doctrine and Covenants and things like that, and you found all of those those references there, and it's just wonderful. It's a wonderful, complete picture for our posterity as well as those of our listeners to be edified in this this prophecy and this revelation. Next week, we're going to be talking about how this is applied and how it's taught to the people of Nephi. All right, y'all. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the podcast. Bye, y'all. Bye. My dear brothers and sisters, I promise that as you prayerfully study the Book of Mormon every day, you will make better decisions every day. I promise that as you ponder what you study, the windows of heaven will open and you will receive answers to your own questions 
and direction for your own life.